on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. studios of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, the fear quotidian. Singer, songwriter, Ahmed Sino is with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film, and we are at the Modern School of Film right now, broadcasting this. <laughs> See how that works? <laughs> Every week, four times a month, Murmur Radio, murmurradio.com. You can download us, subscribe to us, iTunes, iTunes, Google Play. Tune in radio. Wow, we're on Tune in radio. That's cool. Stitcher, wherever fine podcasts are serviced. Social handles at MSF Murmur. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Join the show. Murmur radio at gmail.com. I will read that because it goes right to me. And if you have an idea, I will match your idea with a guest. We want to be interactive, guys. Murmurradio.com. Welcome. Today on the show, Hamed Sino. Hamed is the lead singer of Mashra Leila, this incredible band that he fronts, a band that he and his classmates started at the University of Beirut, where Hamed's Mom teaches English. I believe she still teaches there. They were design students. There was a sign uh, that someone posted in the uh, design program. I don't know if there was, in I think the, the sign was posted in the design department at the university looking, and they were advertising a musical workshop and the band sort of formed there. How cool is that? Dreams do come true um, if you're young at heart. If you're Hamed Sino, <laughs> uh, and they've been putting out great records and albums ever since. I wanted Hamed Sino on the show. I wanted to invite him, and he graciously accepted, because I want to talk about one of my favorite topics. It's a topic we, I, we, you, Hamed, and I can talk about ad infinitum, and there's so many parts to this topic. The topic is fear. We in the U.S. know what fear is. We create it. We react to it. We're not. We don't have an ownership over it. You know, fear is everywhere. Now, different forms of fear: political fear, uh, gender-based fear, sexual fear, professional fear, economic fear, media fear, artistic fear. I like artistic fear, and that's one of the reasons why I reached out to Hamed. I like when art becomes dangerous, and I like when artists become dangerous. For interesting reasons, Hamed has been a dangerous artist. It, it made me think about fear. I want his the band Mashru um, Laila was recently, not too long ago. They did a concert in Cairo, and thirty thousand plus showed up wearing rainbow flags in support of gay rights. Hamed is an openly gay man, and uh, after the post that concert. 
I believe, I don't know how many people, maybe 10 or more, plus or minus, were arrested for, quote, promoting sexual deviancy. It was a crackdown on uh, homosexuality in Cairo. I think that's brave. Not the crackdown. I think the performance is brave. I think the fans are brave. So I want to look at fear. I was thinking about this on the way over here. There's other parts to <laughs> the the trail of tears <laughs> that that Hamed is creating in a really interesting way. We'll talk about that with him today. He was also the group was banned in Jordan twice. Um and one member of the parliament said that sexuality was, quote, exactly why uh, she, in this case, the MP, member of par- parliament, Dima Taboub, petitioned to have the concert canceled. That's scary. <laughs> so it's funny about fear. The concert was canceled out of fear. I read that and I have fear because of what the implications are. So there's different reverberations of fear. We can't cover them all. I want to cover some where art becomes dangerous, but I also think the the fusion of the representations, the multiple res- representations that Hamed symbolizes, is a really powerful galvanizing truism. And to have an artist and a group, Mashulayla, not only make art on a high level, but you know have a great community of followers, but also a great community of people who seem to be afraid of their performance in the sense of, you know, openly, an openly gay leading singer, lead singer, and lyrics that may, may be anti, um, anti-culture, anti-cultural poetry, anti-cultural norm. You know, this all, all elicits fear. And again, fear is a huge topic, and we're, I can cover it in multiple episodes in, in multiple ways. I like this idea, though, of Hamed because of so many barriers he's fighting. I was thinking about fear. Maybe maybe the topic of today is how many types of fear there are. I was thinking about, because I want to cover a lot of fears with Hamed. I was thinking about money today on my way over here to record. I was raised um, middle class, blue collar family. And when I think about money in my history, I think I... I hate to say I wish, but I, I visualize another way that money was introduced into my life. I think it was introduced into my life on a fear-based way, in a fear-based way. Fear money. Not to fear having it, but fear the responsibility of money. And I think that's caused me a lot of obstacle uh, building in my life in terms of money. Not to... Uh, kill the party with that <laughs> little anecdote but i was thinking about that not to go too deep and more deeply into that we can over the next you know and as we go on but i was thinking about what is the opposite of fear what would have been the other way that money could have been introduced into my life and it's not courage fear isn't courage is not always the opposite of fear i was thinking about something francis coppola said about spending money actually related to money he said you know if you spend less money audaciously, you can give it more power. That's interesting. You know, spending a thousand dollars audaciously versus ten thousand dollars conservatively. And if you look at his films, you know it's interesting that that that, that feeds in with the idea of you know a Cassavetes, John Cassavetes. So fear, not to get too far off the fear train, God forbid. But I was thinking about what is the opposite of fear, and it may not be courage entirely. It may be that the opposite of fear is respect. We don't have to like something to respect it, its existence. Now, yes, the mere existence of certain things runs antithetical to certain belief systems, and we can't litigate all those, certainly. We will in, in due time, I guess. <laughs> but I think the opposite, when I think back of this idea of money in my life, I, I wish I had... I hate that word. It sounds so passive. But I think there's a way to respect. There was a way and there is a way still to respect money and not fear money. Because if you fear something, or for me, the vibration of fear causes another vibration. And that's what fear is. It's it's a domino system. It's trigger. You know, trigger. Trigger, trigger. Appropriately enough. 
I want to talk about guns today <laughs> with Hamed because I'm always interested. Uh, the band was recently touring in the U.S. I think it was their first tour since Trump was elected, and I, I, I'm guessing that they know they're going to have a thought on how many guns are in America. <laughs> so you know, fear. When I think of Beirut, I've never been to Beirut or the Middle East explicitly or Lebanon, you know, I think the outsider view is fear as well. You know, we're taught to fear other countries. And I always say that with travel, we don't travel well as young Americans because we're taught to fear. And this is, I think, where the news does have a responsibility to defeat fear. You know, once you travel, you'll never see the news the same way twice because you you can separate the 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 wheat from the the the, cha- the chaff the chaff fear is an interesting it's an interesting component because it it you can make the argument that is it is the most single motivating factor in american life our relationship to fear i do not fear i do fear what do i have to fear you know oh yes okay the only thing we have to fear is fear itself i know i knew that was coming on but it's such a fascinating idea the only thing we have to fear is fear itself maybe that's what today's about i also want to talk to hamed before we bring in hamed sino i want to talk to him about phobias because i think a lot of the spectrum of of emotional lubrication of fear is a phobia you know what is the difference between a fear and a phobia we always say phobia means irrational an irrational fear you know fear on steroids i'm imagining from Islamophobia to homophobia that Hamed has encountered different variations of phobia. So what is a phobia? It's funny that we've latched onto this word phobia and it's an interesting one because phobia will always embed a, a piece that it's just not ra- it's not a rational idea. It's based in something else other than the object of it. So I want to talk to him about that. Again, not to short shrift this idea with fear, but it's hard or the interesting challenge is to focus on one element of fear, I think, because Hamed represents so many so many convergence points of fear. And again, I like when art is scary to people. That means it's kind of doing something. <laughs> it's cutting through. I like that. So we can talk to Hamed about lots of pieces of fear, personal fear banal fear i'm afraid of americans no i just love that song what a great song today on murmur hamed sino now this what are you doing to me what are you doing to me? all right do we're going nothing. to cross do... lock Jesus. him up here for Jesus, are you part of this sit you still can't be part of this I think these guys are gonna whack me, Tommy. Get him to shut up, Tommy. Yeah. You gotta talk Give to him. Give me a headache, you talk little shimmy. Let's go. Tick tock. Quiet him down. Uh, Get uh, up, your scalp. Ah, uh, God. Oh, fucking. Oh, fucking. Okay, take him in the woods and whack him. What? That's right. Boss wants you to do it. Make sure you're with the good guys. Now you know how to do this, right? You gotta remember to put one in his brain. Your first shot puts him down, then you put one in his brain. Then he's dead. Then we go home. Oh, yeah. All right, let's go, let's go. Tommy, you can't do this. You don't bump guys. You're not like those animals back there. It's not right, pal. They can't make us do this. It's the wrong situation. They can't make us different people than we are. We're not muscle Tom. I, I, I never killed anybody. I used a little information for a chisel, that's all. It's my nature, Tom. I, 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 I can't help it. Somebody hits me an angle, I play it. I don't, I don't deserve to die for that. Do you think I do? I'm just a glyphter, huh, Tom? I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. But I'll tell you what, I never crossed a friend, huh, Tom? I never killed anybody, never crossed a friend. No, you are bet. We're not like those animals. This is not us. This is, this is, this is a half dream. It's a dream, Tommy. I'm praying to you. I can't die. I can't die. I'm here in the woods. Like a dumb animal. In the woods like a dumb animal. Like a, like a, like a dumb animal. I can't die. I can't. I can't die out here in the woods. Like a dumb animal. 
I can't die. I'm praying to you. Look in your heart. I'm praying to you. Look in your heart. I'm praying to you. I'm praying to you. Look in your heart. I'm praying to you. Look in your heart. I'm praying to you. Look in your heart. Look at your heart. You can't come in. Look at your heart. Shut up. You're dead, get me. I understand I'm dead. God bless you. Shut up. You have to disappear, you have to blow for good. No one can see you, no one can know. God bless you. Go somewhere no one knows you. Anyone sees you, you're really are dead. I don't care, you're not my problem anymore. Of course not. Of course not. You've done your share. Thank you, don't worry. Shut up. I understand. Shut up. Thank you. Shut up. Just get out of here before I change my mind. There's more than one kind of war in the world, so that means there's more than one kind of soldier in the world. I consider today's guest a kind soldier. He's been cursed at, threatened, repressed, silenced, censored, banned, and that's all in the same concert. He's been called a terrorist, a traitor, a faggot, but he's also been applauded, praised, and called a role model. I call him an artist. I call him a brave human being. He's a writer, a singer. And now he's a teacher. He and his band, Mashrul Laila, they're artists in residence at NYU. The workshop, which I wish I could have taken, is called The Great Gig in the Sky, a la Pink Floyd, Imagining the Soundtrack to Utopia, here to talk about fear, which is our topic today. Please welcome to Murmur, Mr. Hamed Sino. Hamed, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. The more I read about you and the more I'm inspired by you, the more I think of fear. Uh, you once said, I love what I do, but it is frightening. What is frightening about what you do? You know, just the obvious stuff. I mean, we get death threats um, every now and then. You kind of always have to worry about how sustainable a career in music is on its own. But then when you combine that with being worried for your safety, like every time you get on stage in, in certain places, you know, that can get, that can get a 
you know, rationally frightening, I guess. You also said if someone shoots you on stage, you'd be happy to be in that position. I mean, that's a pretty heavy statement. Uh, well, it, I don't know if, I, I feel like these things get taken out of context. Right. Um, yeah, so that's why I wanted to throw it at you and, and tell me, you know, what is the fear, like literally performing in a place potentially where people in the audience don't want you there. You know, I'm, I'm curious about the state of mind um, of you being on stage. I mean, is it, is it something that happens before you perform? Or do you have to beta block it while you perform fear? I love being on stage. Yeah. To be honest, there's, there's nothing really like it. You know, fear is just something that I'm aware of in the background, I guess. Um, that stuff dissipates quite rapidly once you get on stage. It takes five or ten minutes to sort of start talking to an audience or get through a couple of songs and then fall back into a very comfortable space, which is essentially just you know, the stage itself, I guess, and, and seeing the people you've worked with for the last 10 years around you. Your schoolmates, literally, you know, people who you love and who care about you. So it's there is a kind of yes. unity, I would imagine, around that uh, feeling. You're still in New York, or is your semester over, or are you uh, still there? I'm still in New York, yeah. I'm a New Yorker as well, and one of my favorite things to go to is the West Village Halloween Parade. Did you guys end up going this year? No. Was that a collective decision? Did you talk a lot about going or not going? What was the the conversation around wanting to go or not wanting to go? And and why wouldn't why didn't you go ultimately? Because my friends were late to pick me up. So there's no like juicy reason, <laughs> um, to be honest. Uh, it's also just impossible to get through from one side to the next. Yeah. Um, I think we missed it, so we just ended up at Stonewall. It's one of those things where you're from never scares you in a sense. Like I think of New York, I'm from New York, and I don't think of New York as a scary place. Have you thought of, I mean, has there been a fear you being in New York? Uh, you've been in the U.S. a few times, but what's it been like being there day to day? I mostly just like, I, I don't like rodents, and this city has a ridiculous <laughs> amount of rats, to be honest. Um, so I've you know, devised ways to delude myself into walking from one place to another while ignoring the ridiculous amounts of, of rats. Um, seriously, though, like I, I'll, I'll put my earphones in whenever I'm going anywhere, and I'll make it a point to never look at leaves. Um, on the ground. <laughs> Why? Why, man? Please. Because there's always a freaking rat, and I grew up in in places where you don't see rats that often, um, and they they just you know they scare me, um, and that's a thing. But no, I'm not I'm not scared of you know the race stuff in New York as much as I am elsewhere. I feel like I'm I'm more afraid of that stuff when I'm outside New York itself. Mm -hmm. Well, what was DC like? I, I know your mom and dad met in DC. Um, and you didn't obviously grow up there, but you've been there recently. It was, I think, your first time. W was D.C. a more, did you find it a more accepting kind of Petri dish for diversity? Did you feel, what were your feelings being in D.C.? Um, nothing. I mean, we had that little time there, to be honest. And touring is not really a great way of, like, saying you're, you're mostly in one city, you know, for, for a little over 24 hours most of the time. Mm. Um, if anything, I feel like what few experiences that were quite explicit you know, this time around where we're in. Um, I had one thing happen in Bloomington in Indiana where like a bunch of guys followed me around the block at like 3 a.m. because they wanted to see if I had a shotgun in my trench coat. Jesus. Uh, I guess because of the way I look. So, they, you know, they prefaced with a, with a racial slur um, and then asked if I, had a, <laughs> if I had a shotgun in my trench coat. So normally, you know, I guess for the way I grew up, I, I tend to avoid... You know, without noticing most of the time, but I tend to avoid walking on the same side of the street as, like, groups of men. Mm. Um, that tends to, like, throw me off or I'll just cross to the other side. But for some reason, I just decide to walk past them and then look at them because, again, I, I, I get a little anxious when I'm walking past groups of males. And, um, and so someone calls out, um, hey, N-word, um, why are you wearing a trench coat? <laughs> You have a shotgun in there. Jeez. So I, <laughs> I, I start to panic a little bit, and I, I start moving a little faster, and I'm looking out the side of my eye that um, they're still following me. And then I turn around the block, and they're still following. And so I'm almost at my hotel at this point, and there's still, like, another block. Um, and people are still following me. And a rabbit <laughs> crosses the sidewalk. 
What is it with you and uh, furry animals? I have no idea. I really have no idea. But (laughs) but this rabbit crosses the sidewalk, and I literally just, I lose my shit then and there. (laughs) Like, I start screaming and running hysterically like some Halle Berry stuff. You know what I mean? It's like mid-movie, slow-mo kind of thing, but really, like, freaking out. Um, And I... I storm into the hotel lobby and the receptionist just takes one look at me and I, I'm assuming my face is completely blanched, which for a person of color is, is quite a feat. But um, <laughs> she takes one look she takes one look at me and literally says nothing. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I just try to like compose myself and walk. <laughs> oh, While trying to gather what little little shreds of dignity I have left um, to get to the elevator. But yeah, no, these things happen. Sorry, that was a, that was a really long no, man, that, story. I need to no. <laughs> I need to preface with I haven't had coffee. But yeah, no, that stuff happens every now and then. It's not, you know, look, the, 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 the scarier part about being in New York was the shooting. Like that, that stuff is freaky. Um, the idea that everyone, you know, that everyone in the States is, is sort of armed and loaded and ready to go. <laughs> at any given moment is quite frightening. Um, It's interesting. That's a common report. I mean, I teach a lot of students from international students, and that's the first piece, you know. Oh, New York, you know, America, everyone owns a gun. Now that you've uh spent some time here, do you think there's value in that? I mean, it's kind of a fun thing to say, but kind of a... You know, like every joke, there's truth in it. Where where does it fall for you? Do, Do you find... Have you seen people carry guns? There are open carry states here. People can literally carry right. a gun. When you, when people, when you go back to Beirut or you travel, um, do what do you tell them about America? What is your report about America? There's a ridiculous amount of racism here. That there are you know, 250 school shootings a year, and that doesn't tend to bode well <laughs> for most people. I'd imagine that there's a shooting every day. That mass shootings are slowly starting to be accepted as just a quotidian aspect of life in the U.S., which is ridiculous, and that people have like you know strong armed their way into distorting a constitution after a 2008 case, which was Heller versus D.C. to make it look like the Second Amendment was actually about a civilian's right to own guns. And at this point, you're more likely to encounter people to have guns. I feel like there are more guns in the city than there are rats, and both are equally, you know, <laughs> both are quite scary for me. Although, uh, well, uh, <laughs> only one of them is a rational fear. Have, um, you, have you seen Pizza Rat, by the way? Not to change the tone. Do you know Pizza Rat? What, what is a Pizza Rat? Okay, now here's a little homework. I know you're a teacher, and, and teachers don't get no, no, if, if, if you're actually going to make me watch something with rats in it, it's just not... No, like, listen, listen. I come in peace. Have your publicist or your manager Google Pizza Rat. Uh, last year, there was this viral video about literally a rat in the subway carrying a big slice of pizza. Oh, that's disgusting. I okay, guess. okay, you don't have to do the homework, but Pizza Rat exists, okay? <laughs> that is disgusting. Oh, and, and rats on train tracks are like the worst thing. No. And you said, you know, uh, mass shootings are not a, a way of life in Lebanon as such. You know, so you, you feel this to well, be... Well, no, we, we, if, if we're going to be honest... We try. Know, we... We, we, you know, we, we just have our occasional war, right? We yeah. Out of our systems. No, um, I'm kidding. But um, no, look, violence is a thing. Violence is a thing everywhere, right? Um, it really is. There are different versions of these things in Lebanon. There are different versions of these things in other places. At the end of the day, probably because a lot of it has to do with masculinity, and that tends to be a problem wherever we go. But the access to guns here, I thought Lebanon was bad in that sense. Mm. Uh, because Lebanon is really bad. Anyone can get their hands on a gun too, right? It's 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 quite easy. Um, and with the corruption over there, I mean, it's really just asking for trouble. But everyone here has a gun. Really, it's it's really scary. The idea of it is so scary that you never know. You know, if someone if someone says something to you on the street, it really does make you think twice about whether or not you want to answer them, right? Because they might just have a gun and it might just go there because people aren't always rational, definitively. You, you know, what's interesting. We're speaking with Hamid, you know. What's interesting, the counterweight to that, and let me give you the reverse cliche. uh, Right, is that we can use them to protect ourselves. No, 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 no. The the reverse cliche of culture, because American kids do not travel well. Like, we're not taught to travel. We're we're taught to fear Uh travel in the U.S. And we, oh yeah, we think, and I'm going to speak for America right now. I have an Uncle Sam hat on, no. Um, We're we're taught to, you know, going to the Middle East would be, you you don't even, you would never mention that. Like, that's, that sounds like a nightmare to a, a lot of American 
kit. Do you know what I'm saying? So we fear, you know, there's always these reverse polarities of fear. You know, uh-huh. we uh, our image of Lebanon and Beirut is like bombs and guns and Syrian refugees and, you know, so uh-huh. it's interesting. Do you think that's irrational? Um from your view, um, from... I don't think irrational is the word for that. I think that's the media. Right. Um, I think I think you folks' media has been um, quite ridiculous about the Middle East for, for obvious reasons. I mean, it tends to have a little bit to do with foreign policy and national plans. And But Lebanon, Beirut, it's, it's so weird because people use Beirut as like a, like a metaphor, right? <laughs> when shit really hits the fan anywhere, people say... The city starting into Beirut, right? As a maybe that's just in France that people use it, but either no, way, no, I know the implication um, is I, it's like a trench of war, like it's warfare, yeah, bombed out buildings, exactly. like everything falling apart, bombed out um, buildings, and chaotic and hopelessness. We're not going anywhere. We're in Beirut. We're stuck in Beirut. I've heard the expression. Yeah. it hasn't been used in America in a while, but I I am familiar with the expression. Actually. Okay, someone said it. Someone said it to me in France. Uh, maybe a year ago, and I, it was a really awkward moment to be mm. honest, <laughs> like not knowing how to respond. <laughs> um, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of the media. Look, I, I mean, it's not you know it's not peachy anywhere um, in the Middle East, but it's I mean the idea that there's active violence going on all the time is actually kind of ridiculous. You know, it's funny. A lot of Americans aren't in touch with how many guns are here, or how or the or the delicacy of being in a mass shooting. And I'll tell you why. Because in America, the law enforcement, the perception, mind you, capital P perception, is that law enforcement is on the side of the people. Now we know that's not right. always the case. Here's my point. You know, we we imagine as Americans when we travel to a foreign country that we're going to have to keep twenty dollars in our pocket in case we get pulled over to bribe a cop. In America, that right. wouldn't stand overtly. There is. There is a conception of lawlessness that we don't have in this country. So that's interesting because right. I understand what you're saying about the, the the wild, wild west of owning guns. But what moderates that in America is we feel we have protection, i.e. the police. H- how has that right. ethos been for you? What about protection, the American version of protection, police treatment, those kind of things? Do you think that's a little bit of a fantasy space as well, that Americans have well, not- as few borderlines as other countries? What do you think? I don't think it's an all or nothing thing, mm-hmm. like with, with security. I don't know. My, my, my position on security in general is, is not exactly consistent, but um, I think people tend to ignore the race aspect when looking at these things, that if yeah. you're in yeah. some sort of altercation, right, um, as a person of color, regardless of whether or not you've actually initiated anything or whether you're actually the aggressor, you will be assumed to be the aggressor statistically, I mean. That's and, just what happens, and potentially you're um, expendable in a sense. You know, you're well. Th- that happens all the time. Right. We've right. Unfortunately, seen that right over right. over you know forever. But I, I think more you know it's it's been the subject of a of of, of you know a central conversation for, for for the last two three years of just really the, the number of shootings that happen. I mean, we, we we look right now. I'm in a country where someone got shot for saying that they had a gun to try and warn an officer that they're not reaching for it. Hmm. It's ridiculous. And not to joke about the rat, but uh, the, the rat brought up another word for me, which is a phobia. And if we want to look at this technically like an irrational fear. Now, let's put Mr. Rat away for the remainder of the conversation. But you know, I was thinking of words like Islamophobia and homophobia. What is the difference uh-huh. between a fear and a phobia? Because I, I think it's interesting that we have the word Islamophobia, which is an irrational c- construction of something, of a fear. For, for you, do you face phobia or fear, like or both? Like, what is the real, real of Islamophobia or or homophobia? You know, phobia is kind of like softens it, but it's not a soft idea to be islamophobic is it have you faced islamophobia we have this one really funny incident once um well it's not funny at all i was gonna say when you um, say funny i don't think it's like funny haha (laughs) sorry yeah look i i need to i need to say this um i grew up in lebanon and maybe i'm I'm falling back onto like my cultural background to justify my own (laughs) like psyche but we tend to we tend to joke about things (laughs) because the situation over there is is you know, you, I grew up in a post-war generation where the whole country had sort of fallen into absolute madness for quite some time. And then I guess people just picked up on humor as a defense mechanism. Um, so like even even a few weeks ago when um, Hadidi got kidnapped and 
and schools still not out on whether or not he was kidnapped. But regardless, when when he resigned, people were cracking jokes about that stuff, knowing that you know, for a minute it felt like war might actually be an option again for the first time in quite some time. Mm. That's our sort of coping mechanism, I guess. We we crack jokes about things, but um, to, to go back to to the original story, I locked myself out of my apartment the last time I was in New York, which was maybe in July, and I was staying with my violinist and. Um, I asked him to send me his keys in an Uber. So I order an Uber to where he is and the Uber gets to him and he sees that he doesn't want to get into the car. He just wants to put something in the car and have the driver send oh, it over. Goodness. I, yeah. And and because I ordered the name and my name is Hamid, oh, <laughs> the Uber driver freaks out. Oh, boy. <laughs> Calls my violinist a terrorist, although I, I need to also explain that the funny part of all of this is that my violinist is Caucasian. I, I was right? just going to say, I was watching your Tiny Desk concert this morning and I'm thinking, that doesn't make any... Anyway, go on, yes. Your violinist is he Caucasian, is. yes. yes. <laughs> my violinist is definitely... He's, he's Armenian. He's Armenian-Lebanese. Okay. So um, his Armenianness, I guess, makes him definitively Caucasian in a way that white people in America are not even. Like, it's literally just the actual... Right. The white, know, white, right. Caucasian, Caucasian. Right. right? Like, right. <laughs> that word comes from there. But anyway... Um, so the guy freaks out, calls him a terrorist, <laughs> and refuses to take the stuff, cancels the trip. And yeah, look, I don't think, I don't think, um, I think what you were saying about the word phobia sort of softening things um, does ring true in some ways, especially when looking at homophobia, mm. right? Where we, we use the word homophobia so often to describe hate crimes um, as like the incentive for hate crimes. Um, towards the queer community when, you know, it's one thing to say that someone is homophobic because they're scared that if they spend some time with a queer person that they might, um, you know, discover something about themselves. You know, that happens every now and then. But it's a whole other ballgame to look at people who, you know, go around beating up um, non-normative, non-normatively identified um, people um, or killing uh, non-normatively identified people. I don't think that's homophobia. I think there's an element of contempt that's involved I, in that. I, I, um, I, I was thinking that as you were listening, I think, and my suggest, my intimation in the question is that homophobia is is not. I, I think we need stronger terms. I think we need these yeah. are these are men and women who hate gays and hate queers right. and hate homo. Homophobia sounds like arachnophobia. Isn't it cute? They're scared of spiders. It's not cute. Right. It's hate. It's right. th- that's. I don't. I think we need something deeper because it is deeper. I agree. I agree. Um, I think it's also the same thing with with Islamophobia, and I don't think I don't think that that is actually about Islam in any way. I think to start with, it's actually a Muslim. People don't tend to be really afraid of. I feel like I feel like the, the the contempt towards the Muslim community is to a large extent part of an immigration question more than anything else. I don't think it's actually about the ideology. Uh, I agree. I think it's a it's a str- it's a straw argument. And again, I, I agree with you. I think we use Islamophobia because Muslimophobia doesn't sound as concise. Right. It's not. It's not as smooth. Is if it? if it was, that's the term we would use. I mean, I I completely agree with you. Is we don't know a thing about what Islam is in this country. I don't think you know words are powerful in this way. Uh, speaking with Hamid Sano, I want to change the beat a little bit here in our in mid moment. It's funny. Your albums have been self released. Um, and correct any of this as we go. Do you think labels are scared of you guys? Do you think labels are, sc- <laughs> are scared of you? No, I don't think. I don't think it's a it's a fear thing. I think the way a label functions is to make money, right? It's not a <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's not an idealistic sort of apparatus in which to really explore ideas with liberty and no constraints and risk pissing people off. Um, it's a record label. It's a it's a it's industry, right? I think a lot of labels worry about the possibility of sales, although the numbers indicate otherwise, right? But it's just, you know, even even the international labels that we've spoken to, they understand that uh, for the time being, our largest sort of listener base is in the Middle East, and that there are a lot of laws surrounding what you can and can't say in several places in the Middle East, and that censorship might be a problem for them. So in situations where we've spoken to sort of, you know, the majors, um, they've wanted to sort of get rid of a couple of songs uh, or rework some lines here and there or reconsider the album art. Um, 
basically just to make sure that something will be allowed into a country um, and then not really risk offending anyone. And that's sort of just not really how we want to go about you know, making our music, I guess. I could see how the mm-hmm. bo- the box that labels draw would be really tight around you guys. Um, and I love part of this, you're being brave, man. You're so, again, you know, is, is you not wanting to change those bits of essential architecture that make you who you are. Um, but but I do think there is a there there are kind mentors. How, are you finding mentors? I guess in, in a different way. Are you finding other form of mentorship? Forget labels. Are you finding other guidance? I, I what I love about you guys is everyone who whose taste I like likes you. <laughs> so I would imagine there are people along the way. These sort of inadvertent angels, uh, professional angels. You're finding. Have you found love in the artistic community here in the United States amongst musicians? Amongst musicians, not necessarily. Um, mind you, we you know we just haven't been exposed to that many of them here. You know, there's a there's someone at Columbia called um, Melanie Huff, who without whom we wouldn't have been able to like come here the first time we we started we, the first time we toured here like three years ago. She sort of set it up for everyone. Um, so I'm the only citizen in the band. The rest of the band uh, all carry Lebanese passports, and that tends to get tricky as i'm sure you can imagine um in terms of getting visas but then also in terms of getting artist permits and she's just someone who who we hadn't even met before that like we you know we just knew from from like twitter that she followed the band and she liked the music and she's been really incredibly supportive that did a lot for us the tour you know you guys sold out in boston and not to sound like cheeky by a half but you know I love that idea, you know, because Boston typically takes a rap as a very parochial conservative. Yeah. Were you guys shocked that Boston opened their arms? I mean, we're not talking about all of Boston, obviously, but was that interest? Was that an interesting cultural moment when you guys had a nice full house in Boston? It was kind of weird. It's just, you know, like I said, we've been doing this for three years in the States and even the first time around, the, the entire the entire tour was more or less sold out. Sales have been incredible. Um, and I guess it was just surprising. It's surprising given what you see, um, in the news about the direction this country's headed in, um, with regards to, you know, the conservatism and, but also, I mean, just the stuff you, you see online, like the amount of hate towards, um, Arabs and Middle Easterners and, and Muslims. So it really was, it really always is quite surprising that anyone would sort of like turn up and really care at all about what you have to say on stage and what you're doing on stage. Um, but it's been good in that sense. One of the things, as we just a couple other thoughts for Hamid Suno generously giving us his time today. You know, I was thinking about myths, American myths, and I was wondering, or realities, and I was wondering where you come down on something called freedom of speech. And I mean that because I don't think, like any country, you start to take for granted what you have, you know, that or any human mm-hmm. being, right? And this this concept of American free speech. I don't think we know what it is until, you know, we read of, you know, you guys being banned from Jordan and Egypt. Like, mm-hmm. being banned is the opposite of freedom of speech. That, to me, is cataclysmic, you know. I can't, mm-hmm. The absence of you on a stage is profound. And that's one of the interesting things about you guys being banned, if there's any interesting thing. You're being denied, and, and, you're, and people are being denied you. I guess my point is... Do you think, as you observe it from your unique vantage, that there is freedom of speech in America? Could you conceive, or have you ever been banned, not banned, but have you ever been encouraged not to play somewhere in the United States? Mm. Or advised, like on a tour strategy? Have you ever said, well, let's stay away from this state or this part of the country? Well, do you think- No, that hasn't happened, but at the same time, I mean, look, again, it's sort of like you were saying, it's sort of like what you were saying earlier on when you're talking about the idea that a lot of Americans have about the Middle East being always at war and quite chaotic and being about helplessness. And I feel like these things tend to serve the purpose of making it making it seem like things here are great and then sort of pacifying people um, to the extent where, you know, you get a lot of people running around saying, hey, we live in the greatest country on earth. But at the same time, that was your American accent. Just, I like that. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. you per- I've, I've been really working on that, I'm not going to lie. You perfected, um, <laughs> perfected that, yes. Go no, on. but really, you get people marching around screaming, hey, this is the greatest country on Earth, but at the same time, this is the country with like one of the most successful economies on Earth, and yet you have 
ridiculous amounts of, of homelessness. I mean, this is not, right, um, normal. This is not the greatest place on earth at all. Um, but again, with the, with, the, with, the, with the human rights questions and the ideas about freedom of expression, um, yes, things are horrible in a lot of places in the Middle East. But at the same time, uh, mind you, I'm not comparing, right? But at the same time, you know, we, we're currently in a country where the president takes time out of his day to tell the NFL that they should fire players for taking the knee during the anthem. That's not really free speech. Um, The idea of like the person in highest office in the country telling organizations to fire people because of their political opinions. That's not, that just doesn't bode well. This is also a country that, that always seems to generate this idea about like a state of emergency, right? Whenever you're here, some stuff is going on and the government and the press are like really focused on it. And it always feels like there's sort of, an exceptional situation here that ends up justifying all sorts of stuff that we probably just don't even hear about. Right. But there's just always this idea that right now the situation in the country is so bad that we, that it's not the right time to discuss certain things. Does that make sense at all? It does. You know, I was thinking though, and I would throw this at you, you know, so we can have a back and forth in this country. I always think dialogue should lead to more dialogue. That's Mm -hmm. why the idea of banning you guys breaks my heart more than Trump tweeting about the NFL. And I I see your point. I agree with your point full Mm -hmm. stop. You know, in in the sense of it may be a fiction that we have free speech here, but the dialogue, there's something in the fetishness or the fetish of the dialogue. Maybe it's a fetish. Maybe Mm -hmm. free speech is a fetish here and not a reality. Because I think it's scarier to say, Mashrur Laila is not performing here tonight. Thank you. Drive Mm -hmm. home. Drive home safely. No, I agree. I I know you, you know, I'm I'm sorting this out with you. I'm not comparing. Right. No, 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 no. I think it's healthy. um, I think it's healthy to compare. So you know where you stand. But I I agree with you. I, I mean, we can agree with both states. I just think it's really interesting the differences and the uniquenesses of it. What do you, and this is, I mean this as if I was your friend drinking coffee asking this. What do you like about the U.S.? What what would make you, I know your mom probably would hate me for asking, what would make you want to move here someday or live here? Actually, my, my mom would love you for that. My mom's been trying to like, ever since the Cairo ban, my mom's been really scared and she's been trying to get me to, <laughs> to stay here. Mm. Um, so as soon as the class is over, I'm heading over to L.A. to hang out with my brother for a week. Um, during which I'm sure he's going to try to convince me to <laughs> to move. Um, what do I like about being here? Um, it could be simple. It could be coffee. You know, it could be anything. I, I honestly just want to know. Oh no, we have great coffee in Lebanon. I actually kind of hate the coffee in New York. <laughs> bread and coffee. People hate the bread in America. Do you hate the bread in America? I know that. No, I don't mind the bread in America. Yeah. Um, I think it's very bready, <laughs> as it would be. But it's just, it's just, I just. It's very bready. Yeah, I think I prefer pita bread. Um, but um, what do you what do you like? I mean, what? You know, no, the coffee here just has like no caffeine in it. But um, I, what, I what actually like agree with that. Here? I agree with that. It's like drinking Budweiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. But anyway, what what do you like about it? it? It could be emotional. It could be tactile. Um, look, it's tricky. It's so it's so weird to try and answer that because I I don't live in a country that I necessarily always want to live in. Right? Had I not had the band, I probably would have moved ages ago where would you have moved well here probably i mean like i said earlier i'm a citizen so i mean it did it would be quite easy for me to just relocate here um i don't know i guess i i just like the idea that that there are a lot of institutions through which i would be able to do the things i want to do i'm thinking mostly about colleges and independent studios and you know small-scale production houses and small-scale booking agencies but mostly colleges um, in a way that I don't really have access to in Lebanon. Everything is on 11 here, including that, you know, th- that, that op- I don't want to say opportunity like West Side Story. I'm just saying that th- th- the volume, you know, people live in L.A. for a reason. People live in New York, you know, th- because within America, there's not always that high volume, but we do have certain volumes. Right. And for artists, there is a high volume. I promise one last question, but this is the quintessential thin theme question of today's show we've been with Hamed Sino we're talking about fear on the show today and I'm listening to you and I'm I'm thinking man this guy is brave as hell how do you conquer a fear a fear of a, a, a religion or a fear of a of a sexual preference or a fear of a gun how do we get over that I have no idea research um exposure I, I really have no idea well is the implication um, then fear is okay 
Um, well, I don't know. I don't think fear is always harmful. Mm. I think some kinds of fear, again, become harmful. And at, at that point, I think fear is not the right word to use. I don't think um, you know, someone being afraid of like bananas is really hurting anyone else. I think someone's quote-unquote fear of Muslims is quite toxic and harmful and destructive and well, racist. I don't think fear is the right word to use there. Either way, perhaps exposure, <laughs> perhaps some research. Um, I don't know. The Lebanese uh, National Armed Forces, their uh, their motto, their slogan, and if I've said any of these words poorly, correct my pronunciation. Mm. Their their motto is Sharaf Tadhia Wafa, which mm-hmm. me, which means honor, sacrifice, loyalty. Mm-hmm. You're a soldier. Vernon, I am not, and I anyway. Werner Herzog. Werner, no, this is your show. Werner Herzog used a term called "soldiers of cinema." When Roger Ebert passed away, he said, we've lost a soldier of cinema. I don't think Roger Ebert thought he was a soldier. I'm I'm glad you don't think you are one. But to me, your bravery is to be time-stamped. No matter what your mindset is, your path is inspirational. Thanks a lot, man. You know, um, and next time we do this, maybe I'll catch up with you in New York and we'll get some bread. And... Uh, <laughs> We'll feed the squirrels. I'm gonna get coffee. I'm gonna, you know, most people. I'm afraid of bed bugs. Fuck, fuck the rats and the cockroaches. Yeah. Anyway, my friend. Hey, safe travels. The wind at your back, and all best to you and your your family, and the band. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Be well. Bye, Hamed. Bye. Thanks. Want to thank Hamed Sino for being with us today. Murmur. The music is amazing. Nasrulayla. If you haven't heard them, do. MurmurRadio.com. If you've not heard us before, do. Murmur Radio, M-U-R-M-U-R, Radio.com. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. How cool. I love TuneIn Radio. Uh, social handle, sorry, Instagram, Twitter, at MSF Murmur. Follow us. This is going to be a, a cool year. Can I say that? I just did. Too late. Can't take it back now. Don't don't be afraid. Bye.